Welcome to Parenting Vanessa Cologne. Today we have a special person that I just adore and love, <laughs> Dr. Lily Tan from Kaiser. <laughs> Hello. Nice to have you. Can you give you a little background about yourself before we get into this? Um, sure. I'm um, I'm an OBGYN at Kaiser Permanente in San Francisco. Um, I'm the director of our gynecologic surgery service. And um, I started there in 2005, so I've been there for a while. I was recruited from my private practice uh, to head up their minimally invasive gynecology program. Uh, when I first started, they weren't doing any laparoscopic, like hysterectomies or myomectomies. Um, and now it's over, of our hysterectomies, it's like over 95% are laparoscopic, which is great for patients because they get to go home the same day and the recovery is a lot faster. And that's how we know each other. <laughs> So, you know, um, you also have five children. Yes, and I'm also a parent of five children. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what we want to talk about. How are you handling, you know, you definitely have a lot on your plate. And when I was doing surgery and you guys were rolling me in, uh, there was a lot of people in there. (laughs) So you're also teaching some students over over at UCSF. And how do you handle all of that? Because you also have two kids with special needs. I do, and it, it is um, a bit of a—it's a bit of a juggle, of course, uh, to maintain work-life balance. Um, but um, I mean, honestly, sometimes I think I'm not handling. <laughs> People ask me how how I do it, and sometimes I'm saying, "Well, sometimes I feel like I'm not doing it." But um, <laughs> but it's just having your—you know—having everything, having your schedules in place, and uh, uh, having people you can rely on, and having everything set up. I guess to, to help out with that. All right. Well, you also have a ten-year-old, right? That's uh, that, that's yes. the, your youngest. Yeah. Right. So I have uh, five children. My oldest is my daughter. She's twenty-seven, um, and then I have uh, four boys, and they're twenty-two, sixteen, twelve, and ten. Okay. So they're all older now. It gets a little easier as they get older. Um, <laughs> At its worst, I was taking five kids to five different places every day and then heading to my full-time job as a surgeon. <laughs> right, that's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, my, my four, of my four boys, my oldest and my youngest are, are both on the spectrum. Um, Jared, my oldest, uh, originally had severe autism, um, now, but he's high-functioning, so he's, he has high-functioning autism. And my youngest, Cody, uh, 10, does have severe autism. He has global developmental delay. Okay. So autism and uh, ADHD, and he's nonverbal. So he's actually a lot of work um, as well. Jared was a lot of work earlier, um, and he's gone farther than I would ever have expected, actually. Well, he's over at Berkeley, am I correct? He's at Berkeley. He's in his last year at Berkeley right now. He's uh, in his fifth year. He's, He's taken five years, but majoring in math. (laughs) <laughs> surprise surprise yeah that, 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 the autism break right there yes yes so um he originally was a chemistry major uh, and he just had a hard time with the doing chemistry lab where you have to interact with other people um and then he was having such a hard time with it and i told him i was like why don't you major in math because he's always been so amazing at math and he just said to me, he was like, but math is so easy. And I was like, that's exactly why you need to major in it. <laughs> right. I showed him some math memes where it was like, you know, if Jack has four apples and he gives Jill two, calculate the mass of the sun. Right. <laughs> and he was like, I, I don't get that. I'm like, no, it's, it's a joke because it means like, this is what math is like for most people. It doesn't make sense. But for you, it's so easy. 
you know, so it's really trying to find what makes sense for the child. Right. And helping right. them guide that. And I totally understand that. And now your youngest, you know, we always say children have autism, right? You, you meet when someone with autism, it's that one person, right? So you have right. two totally different kids. Yes, totally different. Cody is 10 and he, um, he didn't start walking until he was almost two. Um, he's still not talking. Uh, he can say mama, but that's only if I ask him to multiple times <laughs> and that's just totally for me <laughs> like he'll never spontaneously say it uh, one thing he can spontaneously say probably the only word is no <laughs> <laughs> he's like i'm not doing that i know right. what that means right, right. <laughs> so <laughs> so um so uh, so you know i developed a yoga program for children who have autism and it's actually for kids and you know, that are nonverbal. So it's a 10 hour teacher training. So, and I just realized I just told you about that today. Right. right. <laughs> so do you have any questions that we can kind of, there's things that I can kind of help with Cody around self-regulation or into things like that, that you can think of? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, a, a lot of the difficulties with Cody comes from the fact that he's nonverbal. Right. You know, so he can't tell me things. And if something, if I see he's upset, it's really difficult to try to figure out what's causing him problems. But uh, but he can imitate, and so sometimes if when he gets stressed out, you know, I was telling you how I can tell him to, I can say, do this, and I'll, I'll take a deep breath, and I'll inhale and exhale, and I'll just say, Cody, do this, mm -hmm. and then he will, he will imitate me, and then that, that calms me down, and uh, it was interesting, because I was telling you that, that I do that with him, and you were asking me to double check, like, how he's actually breathing, and I never thought to do to do that you know yeah a lot of times kids will say they'll take a take a deep breath and if they take a deep breath in and then their stomach goes in and it's like actually the complete opposites of what they're doing mm -hmm. and that's a skill set that you have to teach and so one of the things we're selling you is that putting an object and like modeling it and, and having the object go up and down would be the first step right, right. especially for kids that are nonverbal because like how do you teach I always say like, how do you teach breathing was like what does it mean to take a deep breath if we're looking at language right. and a child that's nonverbal, like what does it mean to take a deep breath? It's like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's like a key part of that um, understanding that, uh, especially in yoga or other things we're, we're, that we're teaching, it's like how do we break it down to make it more concrete? Yeah. I, I'm really interested in your yoga program because um, my actually one of my sisters is a yoga instructor. And when she comes over and she does yoga, you know, she'll she's just like, Yoga's her life, so she'll be talking to me. She'll start doing yoga poses, and I noticed that Cody comes up and he starts imitating her, and so I think he would be really receptive to that. That'd be a good way of engaging him, actually. Right, and especially for a child that has, is super anxious, I don't think people realize once you put your head below your heart, it's actually a calming effect. So it helps you with focus, and you're reversing the blood flow too. Oh. So little yeah. things like that, you're like you'll see a lot of kids because you say your kid's a jumper. He's like mm -hmm. jumping from one thing to the next. A lot of times right. they're going to be all over the map. But if you just put them like laying down their legs up against the wall, that right there will help. Just kind of oh. help them to refocus. Now a word from our sponsor from KFS School K through eight. KFS School is a nonprofit located in San Francisco that has a strong emphasis on individualized social emotional learning curriculum that was created by Vanessa and has been adopted by countless schools across the Bay Area and more. With an emphasis on small classroom settings, one-on-one -on -one attention, and a warm and welcoming environment, KFS encourages your child's ability to make choices, problem solve, master skills, and develop relationships further. Find out more at kfsschool.com.
kfsch.org today. That's kfsschool.org. And we're back. So one of the things, you know, being so busy, <laughs> right? You know, how do you, when do you have time for, to spend time for yourself? And like, what do you do for you? I mean, I think that's a big, you know. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard, but um, I, I do martial arts and um, for me, martial arts works really well because I, there's a class that I attend. So it's like a time carved out of the week. You know, I, I go two or three times a week. I, I try to go three times a week, but I leave my goal as two times a week. So if I miss one, <laughs> so you're not hard on yourself, right? Right, right. Because you know, stuff stuff happens. It's life. Um, so I find that's the best way. And then I, I walk to and from work. So, uh, and then at work I use the stairs rather than the elevator. And so I just find incorporating things like making it part of your daily routine and your your actual life. It's just, it's easier for me that way. No, 100%. Um, I take the elevator everywhere. <laughs> just kidding. I actually yeah. stopped. I, I do this water aerobics, but I dislocated my knee. So I started going to the, the JCC or and they, this water aerobics class, and it was amazing. Oh. And the first day, I was like, wow, this is really hard. And it's a bunch of older individuals. And sure. I hit somebody in the head with, you know, <laughs> one of the objects, of course. Oh. And at the end, I was like, that was actually a really difficult class. And they came up to me like, I really hope you come back. Because <laughs> most people don't come back. And it's been like I love the class oh good like everyone's yeah. been really nice and that's been my my way of like helping with my own mental health right because I think it's really yeah. important because yeah, I'm that's key to do something you're enjoying right <laughs> and, I, and then again like when I as we had I had surgery with you of course and then I couldn't be in the water for like a month <laughs> I was like I really need this back but I also want to talk a little bit more about you know um we've talked about you know how you're taking care of yourself but also you take care of a lot of women um, yes, that's my job. Yeah. <laughs> so what are questions that, that are always coming up for you? Because, you know, when right before I had my hysterectomy and I was having all these other things going on with me and I started talking to other women and they were all in alignment with what was happening. But if I didn't bring it up, like my heavy periods, the being tired all the time, they wouldn't have talked about it. Right, right. So like, how, how is it that we are not discussing things that are so important that are happening in everyday life? Right. Actually, a lot of my patients, um, they are, they become very, <clears throat> they're very surprised to find that the, the problems that they have are actually quite common because nobody talks about them. Right. Um, and I think in society, there's a, there's a bit of a, it, it's almost a taboo talk it, topic to talk about like menstruation and miscarriage and, you know, things that are very common and that affect women on a day-to-day -day basis. But it's just uh, people don't talk about it. And then until it happens to you yourself and you actually start talking about it to your friends and you realize, wow, a lot of my friends have gone through, <laughs> gone through this. And what was interesting for me is that I've talk, I was talking to people and they've never talked to the doctor about it. Oh, that's interesting. They just, it's like, well, in, in a weird way, because I've had, because we had, what was it, 10 years ago, it was the first surgery with you with this, the fibroids and the cysts. Right. And then another one was five years later and then we had the hysterectomy. Um, I thought it was normal. Right. So I've always had like, have like, you know, heavier, like, like just cycles. And, and I was always 28 days. So to me, I was like, oh, this is just a normal thing. And this is just what it, how it is for me. Right. And so how, what are signs for other females that are like 
is this normal or not normal? Because <laughs> I, I mean, I, it wasn't until, you know, I was mm. like, I'm, this is not going well for me anymore. <laughs> right. Well, most people don't talk about like their flow and their duration. Like most people don't talk about it with their friends. Like you don't actually, you know how much you're bleeding, but you don't really know how much other people are bleeding. And so you assume that what you're going through is normal. Right. Um, yeah. So typically what, what we call a normal cycle would be a 28 day cycle, like from mm -hmm. the start of one period to the start of the next period, 28 days, but give or take a week. So it, it would be considered within the normal range if from the start of one period to the start of the next period for you is anywhere from 21 to 35 days. Right. If you're bleeding and, and then a typical flow would be like seven to 10 days, you know, if you're that's if typical. You're, that's typical. Maybe even five. <laughs> I was <know>. like, <laughs> five days. I was. Like, I was like, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> when I had it. <laughs> and then, like, how? So, what are signs that a woman should be talking to their doctor? You know, so this right. is the biggest thing where it's kind of like, well, because even when I went to someone else before you, it was like, well, just take some ibuprofen. And, and I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> like, um, and so, how? What are things that they should be looking for? Right. I mean, some things are really easy to measure. Like if you came, if you're tracking your periods and you're getting a period every two weeks, that's abnormal and that's easy for you to, to see that that's abnormal. But we call abnormal flow with a period if it's more than like 80 milliliters per month. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't mean anything to, to people. Like, like you're not gonna know how much you're actually bleeding. Right. And so like the medical term we use like menorrhagia, which just means excessive menstrual flow, is like 80 milliliters per month. Mm -hmm. And that's just, it's really, it's a medical diagnosis, but it's meaningless and it's very difficult to diagnose. So I use uh, impact on your life, so quality of life. Like your period, if you feel like your period is heavy, even if it's only, you know, I say only, but even if it's only seven days, but if it bothers you and you feel like that's too heavy, it's causing you distress every month. Um, or if your periods are painful to the point where you're missing work. Um, so it's basically how it affects you and your quality of life. Right. So what ended up happening was uh, six months ago, if I want to say six or eight months ago, is like that's when I started to really see that, oh my gosh, here we go again. My back would go out. Mm -hmm. I was losing sleep. And it was just so hard for me, just like getting out of bed. And um, and that was when I actually called you because I was like, um, I just missed a day at work and I've never right. called out. And it was just me being so exhausted. And yet my back is out. I don't know what is like, what is going on with me? <laughs> and that's what I was whatever on that piece. Um, <laughs> And then we did an ultrasound and everything else. And it's like, okay, well, the next step would be, and I remember you calling and I, and of course I said, you know, most families and most parents I deal with, they want they have this process. Right. And I, I remember telling you this, and I go, they have a process and I don't need the process. I just need you to be like direct with me. Cause that's how I like it. And you were very direct. And I go, Oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, as with all things in life, you know, and especially as you know, working with, special needs kids but there there's tends to be a process for most things and uh, no you know it, but but sometimes you you do you want to just get I mean we could go through the process of trying I, I just I, I like to offer all the options you did offer you yeah. did you did offer it but I said what do you actually recommend because I've already had two surgeries beforehand right. and it, one of the things you did mention that I didn't realize is that a third surgery could be harder Right. Which I didn't know. Yeah. So every time you have surgery, the, the risks actually increase. 
um, because you can get more scar tissue that builds up and the anatomy can get a little more distorted. So having repeat surgeries, like a woman having her third C-section, that's going to be a higher risk surgery than the first C-section. Um, even though it, it seems like it's the exact same surgery, but just having repeat surgeries, the risks in, increase over time. And didn't you have five C-sections? Yes, I did. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I remember that in a text. Yes, I had five C-sections. My last C-section, my husband, I remember he was sitting there with me, and he's like, they're bringing blood into the room. Wait, this is just a C-section, right? And I was like, okay, honey, eyes on me. You're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's just a C-section. Don't worry about it. He's like, wait, it's just, like, he, 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 I mean, and it's funny, but he wasn't piecing together that, no, the fifth C-section is, it's going to be a lot riskier than, like, your first C-section or the second C-section, so. And, and, and yeah. right, and the age, too, of course. Right, exactly. So. Right. As we get older, it takes longer to heal, um, you know, from, from anything. If you twist your ankle, it's going to take a lot longer to, right. to heal. And so, um, yeah, so five, five C-sections. <laughs> right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely um, a lot to work with. <laughs> right. did, you, did you need the blood, by the way? Because now that I'm thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. No, I actually did not need the blood. Which, okay. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to just leave on that note. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, have a visual. Yeah, yeah, like my visual is <laughs> of like, okay, all this blood's coming in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My first C-section was, the, was, of course, the, the most traumatic for me because that was an emergency. Um, oh, really? And, and I could hear everything that was happening. It was making sense to me. And, um, you know too much was, at that yeah, point. I, I, just knowing too much. And uh, I could hear that the, the doctors were worried. Um, when my daughter came, there's a score called the APGAR scoring that you score babies when they're first born. Um, and it, it's a score up to 10. And you want them to have at least a score of seven. And my daughter, they, they do it at one minute, at four minutes, and at 10 minutes. And her one-minute score was one, which was well. Um, basically, she just had a heartbeat, and it was less than 60, which is very low, because at birth, it should be 120 to 160. That's the normal right. range. And then she didn't have any color. She wasn't breathing. She wasn't moving. Um, so I'm there listening to all them. They're, like, pushing emergency drugs to help her heart rate, and they're trying to stimulate her. And so I'm actually, I start crying and my husband has no idea what's going on because he's not listening. <laughs> he's just sitting there like, oh, what's happening? Like, she's having pain. You know, he's, he's thinking there's something with me. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, so that, that was the most traumatic. And then after that, the second one, I, I did try to labor. But when the heart rate tracing, like, started having some signs, I was like, no, let's just go to another C-section. And then after that, it's easy, because after you're, you're like, that's it, we're just planning it. Yeah, we're just going to get the date and the time, yeah. and we're just going <laughs> to... Exactly. We're going to have no excitement preceding <laughs> the C-section. <laughs> we're going to have a totally boring day leading up to the C-section. It will be a total boring, routine C-section. That's what you want with your surgeries. Boring, routine, <laughs> right. no excitement. <laughs> so as you're having, you know, your your second child, right? That's your second one who has right. autism, am I correct? Right, right. Yeah. How, what were the signs and, you know, what is it that made you think, okay, there's something's going on? Because as a first-time parent and there's yeah. other people, it's like, what are things that to look for? Because I, I find that a lot of times as a first-time parent, you th some things are normal, others not. And then yes. sometimes you have the first kid and then the second kid comes and then with, by looking at the second child, you're like, okay, wait, this isn't, yes. they're passing some of the things. Right. It was really challenging with my first son, Jared, because uh, first of all, my, I had my daughter first and then I, and she was actually 
you know, despite the APGAR scores, she was, she's brilliant. Um, you know, she's a, um, a medical resident right now at UCLA. Super, she's the smartest person I know. Um, and she, when the, she was, she met all of her milestones. And when Jared was not meeting milestones, I was told a lot of things like, oh, well, he's a boy and that boys develop, uh, that boys, there's actually different pediatric charts, like the develop, development chart is different for boys than for girls. Girls, you expect language earlier than boys. Right. And so I was getting a lot of reassurances. Um, and then it's just, I think, being a, being a mom, you notice things about your kid. Um, I, when I transferred from private practice to Kaiser and I got all the records, reading through them, I realized that uh, I was kind of like flagged as a... a um, as a frequent flyer, <laughs> and, uh, kind of like a like a, a like a problem mom in, in, at my original pediatricians, like there would just be notes like brought in again by mom who comes in frequently with vague concerns for her son. Wow! And yeah, it's... reading it over again, I was just like amazed because wow. I I was I was bringing him in with a lot of vague complaints and because you uh, don't know what you're looking for, right? Uh, you're you know? like this this doesn't make sense. I know for a fact that this isn't right, but I don't understand what it is. And one of them, I remember, I was saying, look, I brought him in, I was like, look, he doesn't look at me. Like, I, I, I was trying to hold him up. And he was an infant at this time. He must have been, like, nine months old. And I was like, when I bring him close to me, he doesn't look at me. My daughter always made eye contact with me. But I was like, see, look, I was putting him in front of my face and turning around, and he kept averting his eyes to not look at me. And it's just so interesting because the pediatrician noted that, that that was my concern. But there was no mention of autism or any, you know, I think at that time maybe they didn't know as much about autism right no 100 percent. i mean i was i've been uh, i'm what 44 so i was started when i was 18 working with kids with autism mm -hmm. and when i would talk, tell people they're like are they artistic <laughs> like, are they artists like right. what is happening <laughs> i go no autism is a little different yeah. on that but there wasn't there wasn't you know um a lot of awareness right so right. Uh, so then you know and then everyone would be like well if you see one person again, we've talked about this before, it's like yeah. not, it's such a big spectrum. Yes. You know? Um, or when he was two, I, you know, one of the entries was mom brings in son, uh, she's concerned he may have depression. And I remember she was talking about, you think your two year old is depressed? And I was like, well, yes. I, I just, it was vague because I could tell there was something off yeah. and I didn't know what it was. And I, at that time, I didn't know anything about autism, so I couldn't even put that together. Um, you know, with my subsequent children, I could look for signs. And with Cody, we diagnosed him really early. Um, but because I was already aware of it, whereas with Jared, I had no clue at all. And I was like, yeah, well, he, he doesn't smile. He doesn't, like, look up when we call him. It, he seems depressed to me. Um, right. You know, that's, that's, I was familiar with depression, and I knew nothing about autism. So in my mind, that's what was happening was he was depressed. You know, another time she want, I wanted him to be screened for like metabolic disorders. <laughs> I was just like grasping at straws, but um, I could see reading over the pediatrician's notes that they kind of felt like I was like, the I had a problem. Like right. I was like, you know, overly vigilant with my son and looking for things. Because <laughs> you're a doctor so, too, right? So then that's right. the other thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just look at it. Um, and then how, I guess, when was he diagnosed then? So he was diagnosed, he was almost four. Okay. And, and by that point, I mean, it, it became Clear. obvious that it's not normal. He's not speaking yet, you know. Um, so uh, I think, yeah, by that time, we had already transferred over to uh, Kaiser, and he did have his official diagnosis of autism, which actually I had started reading a lot online uh, about 
the symptoms he was having. And I actually ended up diagnosing him <laughs> with, with autism. And then when I brought him in to the neurologist at Kaiser, then they uh, confirmed the diagnosis and they did like official testing that actually confirmed it. And then the youngest, how old? When you got the diagnosis, since you so, yes, know the science, right? So, so he actually um, less than one. They started. Um, oh, really? Yeah, they started thinking that there was an issue with him. My my the two young the the three younger than Jared. They started screening him early on. He uh, they all actually went through this program at UC Davis, the, the Mind Institute. Yeah, they I know the Mind of, Institute. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they do a lot of autism work, and yeah. so they were they screen siblings at an earlier age. So they brought up some concerns with, um, you know, like with my other two kids, they were looking at them. Um, my son Tyler actually, uh, he was a little speech delayed, but he didn't have autism. But we're able to get him speech therapy early and because we're, we're screening earlier Everything. and picking up earlier. Okay. So with Cody, he started having signs actually less than one, which it's amazing now they can actually, they do assessments for kids who you're not expecting to be verbal, but just based on things like eye contact. You know, you know a couple of things to look at is like if a child points. Yes. Right? And yes. That, like those are some things where like your, your child's always going to be grabbing your hand to take you to where they where, where they want something, but they right. don't have that language. Yes. And then you have the eye contact is another thing. Yeah. Or um, I think what they called something like, well, some like reciprocal social behavior or like when my other my neurotypical kids when they see something interesting to them or or you know if they see something happening they'll look at it and then they'll look at me to see like they're my reaction right oh yeah that's what social yeah there's the social referencing so and there's they're that like piece. yeah like is this okay like what is, what's happening here they'll look at me they'll look at what's happening but um you know my sons jared and cody they never did that like i could see or with injuries if they injured themselves they wouldn't come try to find me and a lot of times you'll find these kids have very high pain tolerance yeah and so they're always jumping on everything they're doing stuff and it might look like they have ADHD too because the hyperactivity right. and they're kind of like going all over the place I mean so that's definitely a sign or they're just always kind of they want it and they also want a lot of deep pressure right a lot yes. of deep pressure of like okay <laughs> that's how we calm them down how we're doing that and things yeah. so well one time when Cody um he he liked to escape a lot, <laughs> you know, so he escaped in the house into the garden and we brought him back. But then for a couple of days, he wasn't jumping around like he normally did. And then finally, I looked at his foot closely and he had like a little pebble that was embedded in his right. foot and he didn't come to tell us, he, you know. And so I actually ended up digging this out. And then after a day, he started jumping all over the furniture. <laughs> He's and, like, I'm back. <laughs> and then my husband was like, can, can you get can we get that pebble again? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had, when I was younger, when I was starting in this field, I remember when there was a, I had a kid who was nonverbal, okay. and he had a headache. And guess where he put his head? And it got like that's what we had found out. It was so bad that he put his head in the toilet. It was almost oh. like get rid of that pain and cool down yeah Yeah. so you you have to really look at the nonverbal cues right right? so you have to be able to know like okay what is it that's going on by the nonverbal communication and when you start to really understand that piece then you'll start to understand what's happening yes with a child but i just yeah so i i couldn't believe that cody was walking around with this thing in his foot for two days that was preventing him from his normal behaviors and he didn't even think to like maybe come in and, and tell us you know or show us Versus a neuro, neurotypical kid would right. that'd be the first thing. <laughs> it's also if you're hungry or not. You know, right. a lot of times you don't, you don't that sensation they might not understand, yes. so they don't know, and so like that's another thing you have to teach, or like you have to go to the bathroom. That's why they have a lot of accidents because right. they're not being able to feel their own body and what they're doing. 
Right. Or if we're out, we have to make sure that we're bringing him to the bathroom frequently yeah. because he won't ever tell us that he needs to go. He'll have an accident before he'll tell us he needs to go. And so we need to just be cognizant, like, like oh, you know, let's just take him every hour, every two hours. We'll just take him whether he needs to go or not. <laughs> For accident prevention. There you go. <laughs> we have accidents all the yeah. time. <laughs> no lot of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, it was so great having you. Yes, you know, well, it's been you. like, I don't know. It's been an amazing experience knowing you. <laughs> Every time I see you, I just learn so much. Yeah, well, it's been amazing knowing you <laughs> and all the, the great parenting work that you do. And I've been checking out your podcast. And thank it's been, you. It's been wonderful. So thank you. All <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Parenting with Vanessa Cologne. And if you have any questions about your child or want to hear other tips, please go to Vanessa's website, vanessacolone.com at V-A-N-E-S-S-A-K-A-H-L-O-N.com or email colonefamilyservices at gmail.com.